Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CageSidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC back in the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 39, Mackenzie Dern versus Marina Rodriguez. We will, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think is going to make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, I'll be interviewing two of the fighters who are on that card, and actually they're two of the fighters who are going to be fighting each other. That's right. I'm talking to Steve Garcia Jr. and Charlie Antiveros, who are squaring off against one another. They not only talk about that fight with one another, but they also talk about all kinds of things, such as they both are coming off a huge layoffs. They both made their UFC debut on short notice. It's a lot of weird similarities, and they're here to break those down for you. So we're going to get to all that great content for you. But before we do, I need to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their free thoughts on every single sports contest you can ever imagine in every sport you can ever imagine. So, as a matter of fact, if you head on over there now, you can check out my bonus pick each and every week on the Top Turtle MMA page. But, of course, you can only get that bonus pick each and every week if you follow us on Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready! For Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Alright, and joining me today is Steve Garcia who fights Charlie on Tiberos at UFC Vegas 39. That fight is, of course, on October 9th. So, Steve, I want to kick off with this. You know, it's been a year and a half since you've had your shot in the UFC, and it was a short-notice shot at that. Since then, you've had a couple of fights you've had to drop out of. What have you been up to, and what's that time outside of the cage been like for you? Um, yes, it's been a minute, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I've been working still, so I do have uh, a day job outside of this. So that's been able to sustain me and my family. So I'm happy that I've, you know, been able to do that as well as, um, you know, I'm still training. I'm still trying to, you know, get better every single day in the gym. We had some uh, falters. The first one was an injury. And then the second one was uh, a gut health issue. And um, I like to say a lot of that stuff is figured out. Um, there's some lingering stuff, but for the most part, we're good to go, man. And so, that's kind of what's been, you know, my life, really. Just, you know, family time, getting better, and just work. And, and so you mentioned in there some injuries, too. W- was it any significant injuries that led you to be outside of training for a long period of time? Or or have you pretty much been in the gym, you know, not nonstop, because like you said, you're a guy with a job, but, you know, not consecutively for the last 18-ish months? Uh, the first one was uh, was an ankle uh, sprain, which is, pretty bad i just i couldn't run i couldn't really um do a whole lot my mobility was pretty shot and then um after that then it just became like a medical issue on the second um the second go around i was, I was uh lined up to fight uh jordan 
and um, I had to pull out for medical reasons for that one. So I hit I hit a few speed bumps, but it just took a minute to just kind of get through it. It just I don't know. I just 2020 was definitely a year just craziness, and uh, I definitely felt it. Yeah, for sure. And you know, looking back at your record too, between you know fighting for Bellator and fighting for you know Jackson Wink Fight Nights and your your bout in LFA. You're a guy who stayed pretty busy. You know, you look at your your record, there's two or three or sometimes even a little bit more fights every single year. Was it tough not having a fight for that amount of time? Is it mentally, physically tough to not be able to, you know, go out and express yourself like that? It's definitely frustrating for me. I, it's like you said, you know, my record shows that, like, I've, I try to get at least three uh, fights a year. Um, that would be ideal for me. And so that's kind of, been been irritating that I've been kind of on this like this kickback a little bit but you know everything happens for a reason I feel like and um I don't know we're ready to go now and that's all that matters it just uh like I said it was just speed bumps along the way and um you know it just I think it happens to all of us and uh the frustration can get the best of you but you just gotta you know uh try to do what's in your control and, um, you know, just getting better and just working past it has been all that I've been able to do. So when I got healthy, I talked to my management team and like, all right, let's get you going. And so I was hoping for something soon. I was hoping for maybe like uh, July, maybe or August. But um, the, these cards are, are, are filling up and they're getting crazy. So they gave me Charlie Antivetis, um here in October. So uh, I was like, sure, let's do it. And uh, we got we to gotta fight on our hands. Well, I love that mentality. Now, I'm curious, too, because I, I noticed that your record, like I said, it's, it's a long one. It's one that's got tons of fights in it. You know, you were incredibly active for a long period of time. But you've also been fighting for a while. You've got an amateur fighter, too, in, under your belt as well. I know you started training when you were only 15 for MMA. Has that always been something you've known you've wanted to do? It actually was... <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. The first time I ever saw an MMA fight, I thought those guys were stupid. I don't remember <laughs> who it was. It was one of the, it was one of the most bloodiest fights that I had seen. And I totally, it was probably a Diego Sanchez fight. Maybe I have no idea, but, uh, um, uh, I, I wish I could remember well, who I saw. It might not even been a UFC fight. It could have been a dream fight or something. I'm not sure, but I've always been a ball player. I like playing baseball. So baseball was always kind of my realm and stuff. And I got in some, some issues growing up in high school. I learned how to, uh, I talked to my dad on how to, how to protect myself and maybe we can get into a boxing gym because MMA wasn't big at that time. Um, so like boxing was like the only thing that everybody knows. Boxing has been around for ages. And so he's like, well, I know this guy who does like combat martial arts stuff. We didn't even know the name of it. And he said, next time I talk, talk to this guy, his name is Lano. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to see, maybe we can get you in. And literally that same night that we had that conversation, he ran into him at Walmart. And like, to me, it kind of felt like that was like God giving me just like a, just like an alert or something like that. Like, Hey, this is what you need to be doing. And I went the next day at, at his gym and it was history ever since. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I have, I know, I know, I don't know what, you know, what my record shows on and my amateur stuff, but I've, I have 14 amateur fights. Uh, all, all knockouts are actually in two of them are submissions, but, um, I definitely, uh, wanted to get my kinks out in my, in my amateur career. Uh, so that when I came to, uh, you know, the pro level, I was ready and 
I, I like to say for the most part, it prepared me for a lot of tough challenges. And I think that uh, it's prepared me to uh, be, be able to compete at this higher level now. Well, I, I'd certainly agree. Now, I, I got to take it back to something you said there, though, because you, you mentioned you saw the, your first ever MMA fight. You thought it was the dumbest thing you'd ever seen. And yet here you are, right? Like you, you said, you wound up in that gym. You wound up doing MMA that day and in the, the rest of the, uh, you know, kind of a story at this point in time. But I got to hear part of that story. What, what was the change? At what point in time were you like, yes, sign me up for that bloody war? Well, it wasn't necessarily fighting. So, like when I when the first day that I joined the gym, the first thing he he showed was uh was a rear naked choke, and I didn't know. I mean, I guess when you're when you're growing up, you're a boy, you know what I mean. You wrestle and you're 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 messing around and stuff. But I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and the first thing he showed me was a rear naked choke, and I was landing it on people, not knowing anything else but that choke. And I just like like man, this is this is so cool. You know what I mean? This is awesome. And then, like, then, honestly, later on, I was getting punched in the face and, you know, I was like, all right, I need to work on this, uh, all these other stuff. But uh, it just started kind of growing into a passion. And, like, I loved being there. It was so much fun. And it challenged me in a whole different way. And I liked it because I've always been part of team sports. And, and like, and I, I like the idea of being just kind of just, like, reliant on myself you know, on if I'm successful, it's on me. If I'm not successful, it's on me. You know what I mean? So what you put into it is what you get out of it. And so I just I just built it and I grew on it. And it definitely just, like, took off. And then I didn't know how fights worked. I didn't know how smokers worked. I didn't know any of that stuff. And um, that gym had closed, and I went to a kickboxing school. And he's like, well, he says, when you're ready, we can get you in a kickboxing fight. And I was like, what? I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. I was like, Sure. I was like, okay, because I had done grappling tournaments and stuff, and that was cool. But you know, to actually fight somebody, you know, in a in a ring, or even in the cage, but was, at that time in the ring, to me was was kind of crazy. I'm like, man, that's, that seems like an adrenaline rush. It seemed exciting to me, and so it just stuck in my head. I'm like, all right, I want to, I want to, I want to fight. And so uh, I kept asking him, and I, I had I maybe trained there for three or four months. And he, uh, he's like, nope, you're not ready. You're not ready. It's, it just, it was irritating me. And I just kept, I kept trying. I kept trying. Finally, I want to say by like the seventh or eighth month, cause I've always had background like in, in martial arts. Like when I, I did like grappling. So it was a Jackson Wing satellite. And so I did that for like a year and a half before it shut down. So we did do some striking. We did do some stand up. And then I went to a strict, like not just a strictly kickboxing school, but it favored kickboxing a lot. And uh, finally, he gave me the okay, and we did a smoker up in Las Cruces somewhere, and uh, it was a terrible night. All my buddies had lost, and my coach was like, Steve, I just need you to win. And so we went out there, man, and uh, I, I, I knocked the guy out in 10 seconds, and I was like, man, I was like, I was, after that point, like, I'm like, I was hooked. I was like, all right, we just got to keep doing this. I was like, this is too, this is too much fun. It's too good. And that's kind of this. You know, a gist of some of some of you know my my you know upcome in the in the MMA world. Well, we're glad you finally came around to this side because it's uh, <laughs> it's been an entertaining time. Now let, let's talk about the next entertaining time because you're fighting Charlie Antiveros on October 9th. He's a guy who who isn't afraid to throw hands. He's got a few submissions on his record. W- what were your first thoughts when they offered you as a possible opponent? Uh, obviously the first thing that they offer me is, is him. And when I looked at him, 
I saw that his fight in the UFC was at 185. And so I was like, okay. I was like, man, I was like, he's coming down to 55? Because I'm coming up from 45. Uh, but even though my last fight was with Pena at 55, it was just a last minute thing. You know, then, you know, fast forward to now, I'm at 55. And I was like, all right. I was like, is he an 85er? Is he a 70 year? Like, what is it? And I looked up, you know, his stuff. He was mainly a 70 year, I believe. Uh, so I was like, okay. So he's just coming down. Um, so that's always like the first thing that Joe is going to like consider. Like, okay, man, this guy's going to probably be strong too. Um, he's quick. He's fast. Uh, he, he has a little bit of a style of like maybe um, like a Wonderboy Thompson. Like, I can't give him that credit because Wonderboy is like crazy, you know, crazy good. But, um, you know, you just look at the things that he's good at, and you're just like, all right, I got to respect this, I got to respect this, but this is my show, this is my, this is how I'm going to approach this, and this is how I'm going to get the job done, and, um, you know, and that's, and that's just how my take is on, on, on fighting him, but I definitely respect some of his, some of his tools that he does uh, possess, and it's, uh, there's a reason why he's in the UFC, you know, you just don't get into the UFC just because you're, you're awful, you get to the UFC because you can fight, and, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to see the best man will win, you know, come October 9th, but um, I'm excited to go out there and, and compete against this guy. Well, we're certainly excited for it as well. Now, before I let you go, I do, I do like to ask a lot of fighters this question because I am a connoisseur of fine MMA nicknames and you've got one of the more unique ones in the MMA world right now. You go by the mean machine. Would you mind telling me the story about where that nickname came from and how, how Steve Garcia became the mean machine? Yeah, sure. Um, so pretty much it wasn't the mean machine first. It was just the machine. So like, and I was, I got that name because it, I, at a young age, I was at, I was there, you know, when I was 15 and I was always in the gym. I like, and I wanted to just keep training and training and train and just like, anytime I could train, I would wanted to train and people just call me like, dude, you're a machine, bro. Like you just keep going. You can just keep going. And I'm like, dude, I just love it so much. Like I love being in here. I want to like learn you know, as many takedowns and as many, you know, submissions and, you know, how to beat, you know, everybody with my striking and, and everything like that. I just was so fascinated and I'm still fascinated and it was kind of stuck that way. But, um, you know, obviously like I, I, I was, I was still young. I wasn't even allowed to compete into, uh, MMA until you're 18. So like people just call me the machine. I didn't have a nickname, but that just kind of stuck around and people just call me the machine. So I was like, cool. And then, what ended up happening is I had to switch to a gym and I went to a different gym and it was Key Dragon's gym and it, it was called Mean One. And so when I got there, you know, I did not take anything from, from, from Keith, but when I got there, I kind of had the machine thing kind of lingering already and I would still fight and I would compete and they're like, man, you just mean, do you just mean, you just, like, cause honestly I went 14 and 0 as an, as an amateur and I was just taking any fight I could and I was just, I was I was knocking them out like first round, first round, just bowling pins, just knocking down. And like, dude, you just mean, man. You just mean in there. And then like the coach was like, well, there it is, man. Like they just that's that's it. You know, you're you're the mean machine. You know. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, it's a little it's a little corny from you know comparing it to like uh, uh, the longest yard, but it was kind of cool too at the same time. So I was like, all right, man, cool. It's stuck. It is what it is. And you know, because I'm not typically you know, mean outside the cage, but when I am in the cage, you know, your head's coming off. So that's, that's how I feel. I, I was going to ask you too about the longest yard reference. Cause it seemed like a longest yard reference to me 
You you said you were yeah. were you hesitant for a second when when they said that as a nickname, knowing that like did you already know the the longest yard reference? Yeah, it was it was a little I was a little hesitant, but um, I I kind of didn't want the machine because when I was watching the UFC, um, there was a forty five named machine, and I think it was um, uh, he fought Jose Aldo, M- Mark Hominick. Uh, Mark Hominick, yes. And I was like, no, no, like he has that name already. He has a name. And, you know, and they're like, well, you're, you know, you're the mean machine, you know? And I was like, okay. I was like, well, I don't know any other mean machines in this, in this game. I was like, it's funny that it's off of a movie and people love it, man. Like, I, like anytime I fought in my hometown, they're not saying Steve Garcia, they're saying mean machine. So, uh, I guess, you know, it worked out for me. So it's, it's pretty cool when, you know, you're in, you're in the cage and you're in the middle of a bout and they're just, they're screaming and chanting your name and, um, you know, it's, it's, in a way it might be like someone's alter ego, but it's, it's just, it's, it's pretty cool. It absolutely is very cool. And we're going to get to hear that announced again from the UFC announcers coming up on October 9th. Once again, fans, this has been Steve Garcia, who fights Charlie on Tiberos at UFC Vegas 39. Steve, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve Garcia. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I want to start here. I want to start by talking about last weekend, particularly the Kevin Holland-Kyle Dawkins no contest. It was a weird clash of heads. Obviously, they let the fight keep going. Changed their mind later after uh, a weird talk that involved a couple of referees and some members of the UFC. What, what's your takeaway of all of it, and what were your thoughts on the official decision, which was no contest? Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I actually found it rather reassuring. I think you saw it with the refs and the Athletic Commission officials and UFC officials all huddled up. Huddled up. They really wanted to get the call right, and by and large, they did. I mean, it was an accidental, unintentional headbutt. Both guys, you know, were, I guess, stunned by it. Obviously, Kevin Holland was a little more stunned by it because Kyle Dawkins ended up getting on top of him and eventually getting the, the choke, but, of course, overruled to a no contest. You know, part of me when I see that, it is fighting, and when both guys sort of take equal brunt of the headbutt, and I didn't feel – it wasn't like, you know – Piotr Jan kneeing Aljo in the head, which was an illegal infraction. And maybe you could say it was an accident because he didn't understand the rules, although he had plenty of time to kind of understand it. But what I'm trying to get at is he was the clear, you know, uh, I guess, uh, culprit in that, whereas this was incidental, accidental. No one meant to do it. And it is a freaking fight. So had they let the decision play itself out, I also could have understood that because Dawkins took just as much a headbutt as, as Kevin Holland. Yeah, I, I mean, it, they took the same amount of headbutt, but they very clearly took different amounts of damage, right? Like, it was a it was a forehead to a jaw. So, like, I think Holland took the brunt of the damage. I will say this. It, it, a lot of people complaining that they did let it keep going until there was a decision and then changed their mind about it later. And that was the uh, – at least scanning through Twitter, that seemed to be the biggest problem fans had with the decision – but my, my point is, uh, first of all, I think they got it right as well. But, like, my point is, is if the replay isn't to overturn something that they should have definitely stopped at that point, then what's it for, right? Like, it, it, if it's not to go back and look at that kind of thing, like, why even have it? Now, 
I also think all of this could have been avoided if when Dan Mergliata saw them clash heads and clearly Kevin Holland go limp for a second, he, he knew that it was a clash of heads, right? Like, it looked like he was very aware of it. He even called for the replay right away. He should have just stopped it there, right? Like, just like a nut shot. And, and I don't know if there is a directive to referees to do that. Like, it, it seemed like something very new. But, like, if, if that clearly stunned one guy and, and it, it was going to affect the fight, why not just stop it there? And, and maybe that's a directive they need to add or maybe it's something they're going to figure out uh, kind of as they learn the replay stuff. I, I remember you're right. And I remember Mergliata saying that he didn't stop it because I think it was like a flash throw to KO. And then Kevin Holland like put his arms up as if to defend himself. And you're right. It was the wrong call. The second the flash KO or whatever you want to call it happened, he should have just stopped it right there. Now, that being said, they got it right. That At the end of the day, they got this right. So, you know, if fans want to go on Twitter and complain about that, I mean, I guess that's what Twitter's for. That's the haters, B. The haters. Uh, that being said, you know, the main event, sure enough, did not make up for the no contest because <laughs> that was one of the most boring, faint-filled fights. Tiago Santos with a unanimous decision victory over Johnny Walker. Woo! Not really looking forward to either of them fighting again. And that was a classic, just classic. Everyone in the lead-up are going to be fireworks. This one won't go over a round and a half, and we get the boar fest. Yeah, I will say this, Johnny Walker going to SVG, and I know a lot of people, you know, hating on SVG right now for, for taking our our, uh, our boy, our Johnny Walker reckless abandoned chaos, agent of chaos. I think I called him an agent of chaos when we were previewing this fight. Like, they took him and turned him into like a boring, feigning, technical fighter. I think if they are kind of ripping him down and stripping him down to like the nuts and bolts and teaching him how to fight this way... And then they let a little bit of his recklessness back into him. But, like, they were they were teaching him the basics, so to speak, and, and getting him where he should have started. I think there might be a path to him being exciting and, like, fun. And, and, hey, maybe even 30 times better than he used to be when he was just spinning and jumping and throwing whatever he could find in the kitchen sink. But, yeah, you're right. Like, my, my immediate instinct is, is, like, he's not fun to watch uh unless he goes back a little bit to where he came from and uh yeah that that was that was not fun at all I, I think Tiago Santos wins that fight and he had landed three strikes in round one uh which is just insane yeah well I'll tell you what is fun to watch and it's Mackenzie Dern and she's fighting in the main event of uh UFC Vegas 39 this Saturday so hey Gumby why don't we get to our favorite segment on the show Fights, dogs, parlay. Let's break down UFC Vegas 39. But one may wonder before we get to that if anyone sponsors this edition. Absolutely. Fights, dogs, and parlay is brought to you by Maroon Social, M A R U N E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jujitsu, or any other martial art, use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, leave yourself little notes, log your competitions, weigh ins, and oh, so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. So this card is taking a beating online. People saying it's not exciting, but, you know, that's what Twitter is. It's for the haters, B, the haters. Uh, I think that once the fights start, though, everyone will just shut up and enjoy themselves. And, you know, Mackenzie Dern is a very fun fighter in my estimation. Obviously, us being jiu-jitsu nerds, we appreciate seeing her fight and evolve her MMA game. 
Main eventing here is a favorite, minus 155 to Marina Rodriguez, the plus 130 dog. Mackenzie Dern, 6-1 and one in the UFC as a whole since losing to Amanda Rebos. She's reeled off four wins in a row, including three performances of the night, coming off a submission armbar win over Nina Nunes, beat Virna Jandaraba before that, beat Randa Marcos via armbar, beat Hannah Cyphers via knee bar before that. So the submission ace, if she can get it to the ground, is more or less uh, perfect um, in getting a win once it gets to the ground. Marina Rodriguez has really had a nice career in the UFC since coming off Dana White's Contender Series. Um, she is total, she's 5-1 and two draws, a majority draw with Cynthia Cavillo, a majority draw with Randa Marcos. Her one loss was a split decision loss to Carla Esparza in a close fight. She's coming off two wins over Michelle Waterson and Amanda Rebus via TKO. The Waterson win was via unanimous decision. Fun fight. Who you got? Yeah, so you mentioned that we like Mackenzie Dern. I also really like Marina Rodriguez. I think she's probably one of the more fun strikers you can find in this division. The problem I have here is just she gives up too many takedowns. Um, you know, you mentioned the loss to Carla Esparza. Esparza seemingly took her down at will. She took her down five times. Cynthia Calvillo took her down three times. Even Michelle Waterson, who I generally don't consider being all that much of a wrestler, took her down. Um, and, and the difference between all of those women and, and Mackenzie Dern is, is when those women take you down, uh, you're in a battle on the ground and maybe you lose a round. When Mackenzie Dern takes you down, you lose a limb. Uh, and so for me, in this one, it comes down to being just that simple. You know, I think Mackenzie Dern has progressed quite a bit with her hands. I think ultimately she scores a takedown here, and when she does, it's over. Um, you know, no offense to Marina Rodriguez. I think maybe her defensive jiu-jitsu has been tested in the past, and it's held up. But, you know, Mackenzie Dern's a whole different animal on the mat. So I got Dern here, and I wouldn't be surprised if she got the sub, too. I'm with you completely. I'm not going to say anything else. If it goes to the ground, I think Dern has this one in the bag. We'll move then to Randy Brown, a minus 240 favorite against Jared Gordon, who's betting off at a plus 200 dog. Uh, Jared Gooden coming off a win over Nicholas Stolze via KO, but lost to Akbar Nagamedov and Alan Joban before that. So in the UFC is one and two, and thus why such a uh, dog here at plus 200, a two to one dog. Randy Brown at this point, um, you know, at one point, Randy Brown, by the way, was thought of as a pretty big prospect, and it's been a lot of, you know, win one, lose one, win two, lose one. So trying to get his career on the right track, if you want to go back to his last five fights, he's three and two. He's coming off a win over Alex Oliveira via rear naked choke, lost to Vicente Luke before that, beat Warley Alves and Brian Barberino before that, finished them all, actually. So his finishing rate is high. Uh, losses to Nico Price, beat Mickey Gall, a loss to Belial Muhammad. So really trying to get his career on the right track and a pretty solid favorite here. Do you see the Springfield Mass originally born fighter getting uh, to a two-fight win streak here? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I think, first of all, I, I think a lot of things about Randy Brown that you said are correct. Like a lot of times we thought this was a guy who could – be a guy at welterweight, right? And like, we thought he was going to make some real big waves. He looked great at times. He's looked not so good at other times. But like, if you go back and look at some of those losses that at the time we felt really bad about, Balil Muhammad, Nico Price, Vicente Luque, those are tough losses. And he's taking out guys who are really tough, like Brian Barberena, you know, Cowboy Oliveira is not an easy guy to take out. And not only did he take him out, he took him out in the first round. So 
Yeah, I think he's he's primed for a win right here. And I, I think Jared Gooden, while, while he did knock out Nicholas Stoltz and, and seemingly save his career last time out, I just don't think he can hand with, hang with Randy Brown in, in pretty much any facet of this fight. So, yeah, I, I like Randy Brown wherever this one goes. Yeah, this one is not – I mean, I guess this is kind of why the haters on Twitter are hating on this card. There aren't really a lot of um, – at least at the, at the top two. I mean, these are kind of – easy fights to pick but uh you know maybe that's where the surprise will come in and and we'll be talking about something different early next week let's move then uh maybe a bit of a closer fight and tougher to call Matthias Nicolau minus 155 to the veteran Tim Elliott a plus 125 dog Tim Elliott is on a two-fight win streak uh since losing three in a row uh to the likes of Devison Figueredo, Askar Askarov and Brandon Roy Val so tops of the division uh, he reeled off wins against Ryan Benoit and is coming off a unanimous decision win over Jordan Espinoza. Uh, Nicolau, on the other hand, the Brazilian, is on a three-fight win streak. Beat Alan Gabriel uh, in Future FC and Felipe Efron in Brave CF. Uh, and in the UFC, has a split decision win over Manel Cape. So the fighter uh, is Matthias Nicolau, that is, is age 28 is 16 and two in his professional career one and oh in the ufc who are you taking here well one and oh in this state in the ufc too because it's worth mentioning that he was part of that original purge of of flyweights that the ufc had gotten rid of when it seemed like they were just going to tear the division apart and he was three and one when they got rid of him including a win in there over john moraga and one over lewis smolka so in that first stint in the UFC, he was doing pretty damn well, too. So to see him come right back to the UFC, instantly pick up the fight over Manel Cape, uh, he, he clearly looks like he belongs here and belongs along the top of the division. I really like Tim Elliott, but my problem with Tim Elliott is he just doesn't seem to do well with anybody who can match his grappling. Um, you know, like he, he seems like a guy who, when he's got a grappling advantage, he could totally beat you. He did it to Jordan Espinosa. He did it to Ryan Benoit. Brandon Royval could match his grappling. Askar Askarov could match his grappling. Davison Figueredo could match his grappling. A- anytime somebody can do that, he loses. So uh, for me, I-, I think Nicolau can match his grappling. He's a guy who's got a Japanese necktie submission in the UFC. That that to me tells me he's, first of all, really good at jiu-jitsu. But also, you know, like he he grappled up John Moraga a little bit, who I always thought was an amazing wrestler in, in another guy who they let go of too soon. So... Yeah, I think this is a situation where Nikolaus grappling gives him enough defense that he's going to at least nullify that of Tim Elliott, and he's going to have the advantage elsewhere. Let's get to our dog of the week. It's Maria Agapova. She'll be fighting Sabina Matzo. Why do we like Maria? Uh, so I like Maria Agapova because, uh, first of all, I think people are underrating her based on the fact that she looked awful in her last fight after she gassed out. Um, she was beating the hell out of Shanna Dobson and then just seemed to run out of gas. Uh, and as soon as she ran out of gas, she got dominated. I-, I hope she's figured that out. It's been a while since that fight happened. And I think that like people are really forgetting she's a pretty good wrestler. She's a pretty good boxer. She's good in the clinch. And that's why she's coming in here as an underdog. Should that fight have not happened, I think she's a huge favorite here against Sabina Mazo. So this is me sort of expecting that she returns to the version who doesn't gas herself out in 30 seconds. Um, and if she does that, I think she handles Sabina Mazo on the ground. All right, let's get to our parlay to play then. It's Mackenzie Dern, the minus 155 favorite aforementioned, and Phil Hawes, 
who's 3-0 and in the UFC, 4-0 and if you count Dana White's Contender Series, and a minus 270 favorite, very strong favorite. Pair them together, though, and it will get you plus money at plus 125. Break it down. So we already talked about why we like Mackenzie Dern, so we don't have to belabor the point. But I'll talk a little bit about Phil Hawes, who is a guy who I think I picked against in all of those first three fights, and he's finally won me over. He looks incredible in the UFC, and not only does he look incredible, he does a really good job of keeping wrestlers from even entering into takedowns. Not necessarily from stopping them or scrambling or sprawling. The way he works his footwork and the way he stays away from people makes it so that they never even shoot a takedown. And he's fighting a guy in Duran Wynn who is not only not very good at closing distance, uh, although he is a good wrestler, not very good at closing distance, but also looks kind of shoddy on the feet. So I think Phil Hawes here just continues to use his really good footwork, stays away from the grappling of Duran Wynn, which is why he's such a massive favorite here, um, and just pieces him up on the feet. So let's get those two together and let's get some plus money. Plus money, that's what it's all about. Hit us up on our Twitter, at Top Turtle in the May. We're accepting both love and hate feedback. Let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty with some of these picks. Gumby, this train is a rumbling down the tracks. Choo-choo, where should we go next? All right, we're going to transition now to my interview with Charlie Ontiveros, who fights the aforementioned Steve Garcia, who we interviewed a little bit earlier in the show. He talks to us about how he fought at middleweight while weighing what a welterweight does because the dude literally can't gain weight. It's an insane interview, and we're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Charlie Ontiveros, who fights Steve Garcia at UFC Vegas 39. That fight is, of course, on October 9th. So, Charlie, I wanted to start by talking about this fight's weight class because, you know, you you made a short-notice debut against Kevin Holland. That, That was obviously up at middleweight. Not your normal weight class. You usually fight at welterweight. This one's all the way down at lightweight. What what prompted you to cut down to a weight class that we've never seen you at as a pro? Uh, well, I mean, ever since I became a dad, uh, I've been struggling just keeping that weight up anyway to where, like, when I fought at 85, I actually, like, walked in the ring, like, 73. I just had to drink a whole bunch of water to get up to, like, 181. So, uh... I've basically been walking around about 74, 75 for the past four or five years, making very small cuts to 70. So we did a practice cut at 55, and it wasn't that hard, so we decided to try it out. So so I just got to backtrack you a second there. You said you fought Kevin Holland at the time of the fight. You You essentially weighed what a middleweight weighs even when he's cutting weight? Yeah, I weighed uh, 173 when I fought Kevin Holland, like the day of the fight. That's incredible, and and, and absolutely must have been like two weight classes worth of difference there. Now, I, I wanted to talk real quickly, too, about that fight, because obviously that one had some really weird stuff going on. You, you lose that fight with a neck injury. How has the recovery been for that? Uh, the recovery wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, it was just uh, a couple months of just taking it easy, almost like it was like a concussion, basically. And just mim- like minimal neck movement. And then uh, once I got back to my regular chiropractor, it was weird. He was like, uh, Mr. Ontiveros, uh, I hate to say this, but I think that slam on 
from your fight actually did your neck some good. I've gotten more <laughs> pops out of you than ever. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess that is a good bit of news there. So, uh, yeah, you, you walk out of the fight getting a fight in a new weight class and with a better neck. So that's that's all good news. Now, I wanted to ask you about something else I saw recently when I was reading an article about uh, drug testing in the UFC, and that's they, they listed the people who had been USADA tested the most this year, and, and coming in at number three on the list was Charlie Ontiveros, which, uh, you know, with only one fight in the UFC, seemed like a real weird move to me, but has it been weird for you to be tested as many times as you have? Well, it, it's because uh, they found some PED in my system after my first fight, and they still haven't been able to clarify what it could have came from or or if it was even because they try to tell me it was the same PED that Jones popped for and continues to pop for because it lingers in the system and I was like okay so it should start gradually going out of my system throughout these drug tests well I mean drug tests were not finding it at all after that so I mean it's just me and my coaches thought because there was a guy that fought the same night I fought that popped for marijuana, which I I assumed I was going to pop for marijuana, which I didn't. <laughs> and that that's what kind of surprised me there, too. But this guy claims he doesn't smoke, and he got popped for marijuana. And then his fight later on, I'll, I'll get his name from my coach for sure, but uh, yeah, he ended up testing positive for that PED on his later fight. So I'm like... Okay, so there's no possible way shit could have got switched or what? Because, like, yeah, my coaches hound me about taking multivitamins, dude. I I got one of the shittiest diets and <laughs> the UFC athletes. And as far as taking stuff, dude, like, I gotta I gotta be forced to take ibuprofen. <laughs> <laughs> so it came in a, it came in as as a shock, but I mean it was one of those. Uh, I just, I was going to try to fight it, but then my managers was like, man, you, you're you going to waste more time and probably get a longer suspension if you can't prove it. So I'm like, all right, I'll just take my whippings and keep going. Well, and now you are finally getting the chance to keep going and, and it's been a little bit of a layoff for you. So I was going to ask you, how has that layoff been? Obviously, you know, like you said, some short recovery time there for the neck injury, but how is the time away from the cage been? Do you feel like you're making big gains? Is is there anything in particular you've been working on? I feel like my speed has definitely picked up just from not having to concentrate on keeping weight anymore. Because used to, I'd walk around full almost all the time just trying to keep weight on. And now I'm able to just relax. I don't have to gorge. I just feel a whole lot faster been working a lot more wrestling uh i know a lot of people think i don't have ground i just prefer to stand <laughs> the, the fight starts standing so it's one of those you you might see a takedown from me in this fight but that's only if like i feel like i need the points other than that i, I you won't be seeing too many takedowns from me well, I think you found yourself an opponent that's going to oblige you in the type of fight you want because Steve Garcia is another guy who kind of likes to throw hands and, and enjoys that type of fight. 
when they offered you him as an opponent, did did you think about that at all? Did you know Steve Garcia already? What what were some of your initial thoughts? Oh, I, I mean, I just wanted to fight, man. It's been freaking a year. I didn't care who they gave me, but uh, once they gave me a name, my coaches looked him up and said he's you know, he's a stand-up fighter. A lot of his wins are stand-up. I'm like, okay, awesome. But as seen, most of the time I go in there thinking I'm fighting a stand-up guy like Holland or MVP, and I get surprised with a takedown. So I'm expecting him to shoot after he pills some leather on his face. And so it sounds like you've got a, a prediction on how this fight is going to go. And I usually do like to ask my fighters before that, before I let them go, how they see this one going down. How do you see this fight ending against uh, Steve Garcia come October 9th? Oh, man, like I'm telling everybody, I'm not walking out there with just my fight money. I'm walking out of there with a bonus. So whether it be fight of the night or knockout of the night, it's 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 coming to me, though. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Charlie Ontiveros, who fights Steve Garcia at UFC Vegas 39. That's on October 9th. Charlie, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and Better Than Vegas. And, of course, remember that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA, where we give you extra content all the time, including commentary on the fights as they're happening over there on Twitter. So make sure you're following along. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Breland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We will catch you then.